Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Ron DeSantis preps for a crucial debate. The governor defends Trump after a fourth indictment and a big trial over Florida's congressional redistricting plan kicks off next week. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. But first... Music means it's time for some numbers. Antonio, you got a number for us today? Yeah, I'm coming in at 114. All right, 114 for Antonio. How about you, John? Zach, I do have a number, and it's a whopper. 95,000. All right, John coming in big, and I have a lucky seven today. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, after a brutal stretch where his campaign has been in a bit of a downward spiral, the first debate of the primary season is a pivotal moment for DeSantis. He needs to stop the bleeding and reassure donors and other supporters that he has what it takes to challenge Trump for the nomination. DeSantis isn't known as a particularly good debater, though. His Democratic opponent, Charlie Crist, got the better of him at times last year during the one and only debate held during the reelection campaign. John, how big is this debate for DeSantis and what are some of the biggest challenges for him? It does seem like this debate does loom as a kind of make or break for the governor. Uh, He's been on a bad trajectory, as you pointed out. Uh, You know, he's dropping in the polls further behind Trump and, of course, starting to struggle to hold on to his uh, number two ranking among the pack of non-Trump candidates uh, seeking the nomination. But if DeSantis can come across as a forceful, confident leader with that get-it-done track record in Florida, maybe he can reverse the slide that has really seen his campaign blow through millions of dollars, uh, replace its campaign manager, eliminate 40% of its staff, and still find himself gaining really no traction so far. Um, So those are just some of the things that are kind of riding on this. Uh, Conservative voters like a lot of what DeSantis stands for, but so far they don't seem to like him much. Uh, There's something wooden about him, awkward, not sure if he's going to be able to radiate charm on this debate stage, but he can at least maybe project a style and confidence that says he's ready to take on the national level, uh, the responsibility of being president, that he can beat Joe Biden, you know, helped by a past that has included leading this nation's third largest state forward with a a good state economy, uh, attract new residents, uh, respond to COVID-19 in a way that didn't shut schools down and uh, Remember, he won election, re-election as governor by the widest margin in 40 years in Florida. Um, he, you know, he, he's got the smarts and the international heft to be in the Oval Office. That's what he's got to try to convince uh, voters in this uh, appearance. Uh, whether he does or not, well, you know, he, he's at least got to sell Republicans that he does. Um, but he, I, I, what I think he, he should downplay is the bully stuff, although that seems like a magnet for Trump voters. Uh, he... he can cast himself as a defender of parents' rights, but I think DeSantis ought to be careful going too far on claims of, uh, you know, that there's pornography in school libraries and teachers are sexualizing and grooming children. You know, I'll, I'll admit, though, Fox News watchers seem to be able, you know, able to just not get enough of that stuff. But, um, you know, that's who he's going to be appealing to in this debate. But I think he faces risky traps if, uh, 
you know, if he starts going over his many resume items that could be seen as denying black voting rights, uh, brutalizing LGBTQ people, talking about the upside of slavery, um, you know, and, and weaponizing government to carry out his wishes. I think DeSantis should only talk, and he, and he will, about Joe Biden weaponizing governor, government to go after Donald Trump. Um, you know, the risks for DeSantis also include in this debate uh, that he's likely a target for his many rivals on the debate stage who, who look to him as the front runner if you don't have Trump in the picture. Uh, DeSantis said he expects to uh, be getting the, the, the most attacks. He said that just on a radio interview this week. And uh, it, it's possible that other candidates, you know, seen as sort of coming on right now, Vivek or Ramaswamy or South Carolina's uh, Senator Tim Scott among them. So so all these candidates, they're trying to position themselves no longer for a participant ribbon, but the uh, silver medal and second place in this Republican field right now. But, but you know, Zach, I, I wonder if DeSantis knows that it was Dale Earnhardt Sr. who once said that if you finish in second place, you're just the first loser. <laughs> well, I, this is an interesting election, though, John. I think a lot of them are just jockeying to be in second place if Trump falters. Oh, yeah. you know? I mean, the, yeah. the, 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 they seem to want to be the fallback plan. You mentioned an interesting point about DeSantis taking a lot of incoming. Um, and I, I talked to some people for a story I'm working on about the debate, and they all expect DeSantis to get pummeled. And one of the, the folks I talked to really thinks that Chris Christie is his biggest uh, risk if Trump doesn't show up, obviously. If Trump uh, shows up, then uh, all eyes are going to be on Trump. But Chris Christie, uh, a former U.S. attorney who has proven himself on debate stages in the past and famously kind of took out another uh, Florida presidential candidate, Marco Rubio, in a primary debate where Christie was pointing out that Rubio was giving these kind of canned uh, robotic answers and uh, continued to give them even after uh, Christie pointed it out. And, and it really kind of uh, popped uh, Rubio's balloon a little bit and, and uh, precipitated the downfall of his presidential campaign. And, and Christie has not been shy about going after uh, DeSantis either. So I think that dynamic is going to be interesting to watch. I also wonder, uh, John, about you know, some of DeSantis's perceived shortcomings and whether you think he can address them in this de uh, debate there. You mentioned the awkwardness, the likability issue that has really dogged him. Trump, uh, the Trump campaign flew a plane over the Iowa State Fair over the weekend saying, be likable, Ron, with an exclamation <laughs> point, kind of uh, trolling him. Um, and I think there's some pressure on him to sort of show a softer, uh, more likable side in this debate. I was talking to a, a, a DeSantis ally for this debate story, and he was telling me that he does think that he needs to sort of humanize himself a little bit more, maybe talk more about his wife and kids or try and tell some anecdotes that sort of peek behind the curtain a little bit. And, and um, what, what do you think? Uh, do you think that that's something that he can do? I mean, it's hard to like sort of just change your personality for a debate, right? I mean, he is who he yeah. is. Yeah, that, that, that's the issue, I guess, if he can do that. Because indeed, as you point out, and you, that, that's a very good point, I think it, it 
it can be expected that you're going to see some moment where he does or says something that just sounds so like planted, you know, that, hey, I'm a human being, you know, remember that, you know, and uh, right. he'll he'll bring up some uh, anecdote or something. But if it comes across as, you know, you know, practiced and uh uh, deliberately placed, that too is going to kind of backfire a bit if it looks like uh, it's just a canned effort to uh, appear a little bit warmer to the audience. But indeed, I think he does have to project that kind of feeling that people can, people that are watching this in their living rooms feel kind of comfortable with the guy. Uh, that does seem to be something that is uh, uh, hurting him right now, that, that, that image that he is just a uh, robotic, uh, you know, kind of stiff, not really caring uh, that much to, about people. We've all seen the various, uh, you know, video memes that are posted on Twitter or whatever that where, you know, DeSantis seems to do something strange, you know, whether it's talking to a kid in Iowa about, you know, the, the icy that he's eating, that it's chock full of sugar, uh, you know, ca capturing stuff like that just seems to be things that, uh, that, that he, he walks into and, um, he, he can't really afford doing that again on this, uh, you know, with a giant audience watching this debate. Yeah. And, and he also needs to try and avoid a moment like he had in the last debate, his last debate with, uh, Charlie Crist, where, um, he, you know, he did come off as kind of robotic and awkward, um, in, in a pivotal moment when Chris was really pressing him about, are you going to serve uh, a full four-year term if you're reelected uh, uh, as governor? Um, oh, yeah. And obviously at that point, he was already sort of uh, looking ahead to the presidential campaign and, and didn't, didn't want to commit to that. But it seemed like that was a question he should have expected, but he just sort of um, stood there awkwardly. There was this long sort of pregnant pause. And then yeah. he Speaking responded. of ICs, he kind of froze. Yeah. Right. He froze. He froze up. He, he he seemed to be caught off guard, uh, which is rare for DeSantis. He seems to try and prepare himself for any um, any 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 possibility. And and then, you know, he delivered what you know, you, you mentioned, you know, that he can get robotic at times. He delivered this very canned response about uh, that seemed pre prepared about Chris being, a, you know, the only worn out old donkey that I want to put out to pasture is you, Charlie. And, and uh, it was it was not his finest moment. And and so, um, you know, it's similar to sort of what what Christie was able to get out of Rubio, where he was pointing out his canned answers. So we'll see uh, if he can avoid another moment like that. Well, another week, another Trump indictment and another round of DeSantis rallying to his primary opponent's defense. DeSantis continued to criticize what he calls the criminalization of politics after Trump was indicted in Georgia for alleged election interference. He also indicated that if elected president, he would rein in prosecutors who pursue cases that he disagrees with, pointing to his removal of two prosecutors in Florida. Meanwhile, Trump continued to ridicule DeSantis, mocking his struggling campaign. Antonio, what do you make of DeSantis just loyally continuing to back Trump, even as the former president continues to show him really no mercy? Well, Zach, you know, I, I maybe it's not so much that he's backing Trump, but that he's just being deferential to the Trump voter base. Look, for the government yeah. to have any chance of getting back in this competition, and you and John have just talked a lot about what his issues are, you know, he, he's going to have to peel away Trump voters. That's the lane that he fixed himself in, that sort of the hard right portion of the party. But overall, polls have shown that 70 percent of Republicans say the charges against the former president are politically motivated. 
And broad numbers of GOP voters still believe the baseless claims of 2020 election fraud. So attacking Trump over the felony charges and his January 6 actions actually would risk being perceived as taking sides with the Democrats and weaponized government. And even though the majority of Americans seem, according to polls, to support the charges and think they're serious and want to hear more about them, the indictments are taboo for Republicans. And those that have criticized Trump for his actions, Chris Christie that you guys just talked about, Aza Hutchinson, and now former Vice President Mike Pence, well, they've incurred the wrath of GOV voters, and that's why they trail, they're even farther behind Trump than, than DeSantis is. Uh, you know, and there was a poll that came out a couple of months ago by Florida Atlantic University, and it and it, it was of Florida Republicans, and it showed that a significant number were sort of su suggesting or believing that DeSantis running against Trump was an act of disloyalty. I think it was like one in five or two in five of, the, of those surveys said they believed that that you know challenging Trump was was disloyal, and that seems to also be something that's hampering the governor that he has come across as disloyal, and that's a big thing in Trump world. And, it, and if so, it, it may not matter what the governor does going forward because you know he would be seen as someone who has turned against Trump and thus against the voter base. Now, even so, I, you know, I, I don't know that we want to discount DeSantis or the other GOP rivals out there yet. You know, Yeah, Trump has a huge lead. I think the latest poll that came out this week, it's like almost 40 points over DeSantis, who's far behind and everybody else even farther behind than him. But, you know, we've also seen polls of the overall American electorate. You know, one, the, the AP NORC poll that was released on Wednesday showed that just 35% of Americans have a favorable view of Trump compared to 62% who view him as unfavorable. You know, and 53% of all voters say they definitely would not vote for Trump for president in 2024. And another 11% said they probably would not support his White House comeback bid. So, and then you got the 538 average that we've been following on this podcast and I've been talking about. Well, it's got him at 39.3% favorable versus 56.4% unfavorable. That's a 17 point gap. Just going back to early April of last year, before the January 6th committee hearings, before the legal issues blew up, you know, while he was still nominating the 2022 uh, primary field, that favorable unfavorable gap was only nine points. So it's doubled since. Look, at some point, and this is what some pollsters have been telling me, you know, is at some point, you know, right now they say, look, it, it's easy to say you're going to support Trump because nobody's voting. There's really nothing at stake here. But at some point, some of those, a lot of those voters may think, you know what, we got to win in 2024. Who's going to be the best bet? Yeah, we love Trump. He's our guy, but he can't win. And if he can't win, you know, we don't want to lose again. So like John said, with Dale Earnhardt, you know, if, if you're in second place, you're the, you're, you're the first loser. You know, at some point, the poster is saying that may change. And the question is, how do you position yourself, as you guys are talking about, how do you position, be the, be, position yourself to be the one that is the beneficiary of that changing tide? Antonio, a lot of what DeSantis was saying about this latest indictment is pretty similar to what he said in the past. But this time he did bring up sort of specifically uh, trying to check these prosecutors, the, the district attorney um, in Atlanta who uh, Trump has criticized. Uh, and, and he and he pointed to to his removal of two prosecutors in Florida. Now, it's different 
in Georgia, um, you know, in terms of the power of the governor to to remove these uh, officials. But DeSantis is sort of implying that if he's elected president, he'll he'll put a, a microscope on uh, prosecutors that he views as too left wing or or you know going out of their bounds here. You know, what do you make of that argument? It, it, you know, this this idea of hey, uh, if a prosecutor brings charges against somebody that we don't like, we're going to remove them. Uh, it's it's a a pretty aggressive posture to take and. DeSantis is really, you know, kind of playing up his removal of these prosecutors um, in his political campaign and yet arguing that their remover, removal wasn't politically motivated. He's just trying to get them to, to follow the law. Yeah, look, it's a great talking point. And yeah, maybe it uh, wins in some favor with the base. But as president, you're just kind of stating the obvious. You know, the president and the attorney general, they nominate the U.S. attorneys. So you're yeah. you're really saying what you're what what you're going to be what you already have a power to do as president. You, you may, maybe you're trying to convince. But but it seems people. like he's talking about dipping down to the state level, like to the state level. Like, you're think, right. Yeah, I don't, right. Does he okay. does he have the authority to do that, or is no, that just a talking point? You think? No, they, <clears> no, these you know the local prosecutors, the ones here in Florida, they're elected. Yeah, the, the constitution, right. the state government gives you the power, of the governor, to remove a. An elected official who's done wrongdoing. We've talked in the past about how DeSantis, when he first took over, he removed the election supervisor in Palm Beach County. That's how that's how that change was made. He also removed the sheriff in Broward County who was under a cloud because of the shooting at the Parkland School back in 2018. So yeah, the Florida Constitution gives you that power, but as a president, you can't go around, you know, dismissing, you know, popularly elected state attorneys in other states just because. They embarked on a prosecution that you find suspect. That's that's in the old days. That's what juries are for. You know, the prosecutor brings the charges. They go to yeah. trial and the jury and the judge decide, you know, who who is correct here. And that happens every day in this in right. this country. People that are accused of crimes go before the court and they're either exonerated or they're convicted. Well, that's how that works. He's decided that he's going to impose himself and decide what is really a, a right case to bring or not. The Florida Constitution gives them that power. The U.S. Constitution doesn't not so much, except when it comes to the U.S. attorneys that he can he can choose. So, yeah, look, it's a talking point is, you know, it maybe wins him a few points. But I, with a lot that we've seen, Zach, with with Don, Ron DeSantis, when he's out there, a lot of these claims that he makes, a lot of these points that he's talking up, these issues he's talking up, whether it's the prosecutors, or Disney, or you know, a lot of these issues, they take a lot of explaining. They they take a lot of a wind up to get to the point. And you know, those voters really, you know, they're they're more persuaded by the quick hit, the Donald Trump tweet, the quick, you know, hey, the 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 funny line, the funny name, the nickname. That's what it really wins them over. You know, the question is, you know, they've been won over by Trump. The question is at some point. Do a lot of these voters say, you know, yeah, I want this guy, but we got to win in 2024. We got to win in November. And you've got more than half of those being surveyed saying that there's no way they're going to vote for him. Now, you can say, OK, you know, that poll is wrong. OK, well, what about the other poll is showing that Trump is winning among among you know Republicans? So, um, you know. And that's where we're at. I, I just think it's also notable that, um, you know, DeSantis is really talking up the removal of these uh, prosecutors during 
his his presidential campaign, which, you know, the uh, one of the, the most recent prosecutor who was removed was basically saying this is all about trying to jumpstart his struggling campaign. And, uh, you know, what does he do but turn around and, and talk about this on his campaign? So uh, he, he is playing into some of that criticism that this is was just all about uh, politics. Well, Trump's legal cases may be getting all the attention, but there's a big legal clash happening in Florida over the state's congressional map, which was redrawn by DeSantis in a fashion that allowed Republicans to pick up four more congressional seats in the state. DeSantis's map eliminated a black-leaning district that had been held by a black Democrat. Voting rights groups say the map violates Florida's constitution. John, you've been following this lawsuit closely. How strong is the legal case against DeSantis's redistricting map? Well, it does seem like a strong case. Uh, it largely centers on the claim that the congressional redistricting map violates the state's voter-approved uh, fair districts amendments to the constitution. Uh, they prohibit creating new district boundary lines that diminish a minority voter's opportunity to elect a candidate of their choice. Uh, in this case, a, a North Florida congressional district with a more than 40% black voting population and which had elected Democrat Al Lawson since 2016, that district was eliminated. Uh, what had been a Tallahassee to Jacksonville district was was broken up and the black voters who lived across this district, they were scattered among four districts, all with much smaller minority populations and all of which leaned Republicans and elected Republican members to Congress last year. That's part of how DeSantis managed to add four Republican seats to Florida's congressional delegation. You know, on the campaign trail now, he has claimed that it was his action in Florida that led to the Republican takeover of the U.S. House in last fall's midterm elections. You know, it, this these this four seat pickup basically helped uh, provide the narrow margin that the Republicans needed to win. Now the the state is providing a novel legal defense of the DeSantis map, and um, we call it that because the the governor uh, effectively drew it after vetoing a plan by the legislature that had kept intact Lawson's old wide wide ranging district that long uh, Tallahassee to Jacksonville district had been kept in place by the legislature but DeSantis didn't want it um the state is going to argue in a hearing uh this coming week in state court in Tallahassee that the fair districts requirements prohibit diminishing minority voters uh, that that violates the equal protection clause of the United States constitution it that Equal Protection Clause requires that the laws of a state must treat an individual in the same manner as other people in similar conditions and circumstances. And it was brought into the U.S. Constitution in 1868, largely to protect newly freed enslaved people. But DeSantis now argues that Florida's fair district standard gives unlawful special protections to black voters, that, that basically fair districts hurts white voters. You know, will a court buy yeah, this? But John, hasn't the Supreme Court had some rulings recently that you know uh, the states can't 
draw black leaning districts that those are acceptable uh, under yeah. the constitution that 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 is something now that is we're also working against DeSantis right now in a, in a rulings this summer just out of the US Supreme Court uh they they kind of troubled DeSantis's defense uh you know in a decision overturning Alabama's congressional redistricting map which had created only one black majority district in a state where more than a quarter of the population is black justices said that drawing lines to help minorities was allowed and that Alabama's map likely violated the Voting Rights Act. So that that is hovering over this defense as well and will be hovering over the judge who hears this case. Um, you know, w but whatever ruling DeSantis gets in this lower court, uh, both the challengers to the map, which include uh, an organization called Black Voters Matter and also the Florida League of Women Voters, they've agreed to allow any appeal to go directly to the Florida Supreme Court. And the Florida Supreme Court, remember, has a majority of appointees named by DeSantis, and they could be friendly to the governor's approach. Uh, there, there's another federal trial on the congressional redistricting map that's scheduled for next month as well. Um, all around, uh, a lot of observers seem to think that the Florida map could wind up eventually before the United States Supreme Court before it's settled. And that, of course, raises further questions about whether this map could still be in place during next year's elections. Wow. Some big, big constitutional uh, questions here surrounding uh, redistricting, and that trial will kick off next week. Antonio, you want to give us uh, your number? Yeah, gentlemen. Um, I had 114, and Zach, that is the heat index temperature in Palm Beach County on August 8th. Uh, that 114th degree heat index uh, temperature triggered the first ever excessive heat advisory in what is Trump's home county on, on that day. And at the same time, just about, Mr. Trump was in New Hampshire sweating through a speech in which he actually remarked you know, how hot it was. Well, you know what, gents, you know, Trump indictments aside, the heat has been the story of the summer. Uh, it's been record hot and widespread heat is, you know, culminated this month with these devastating wildfires in Hawaii. And Palm Beach County, again, Trump's home county, uh, in July posted almost three straight weeks of heat advisories in, back in July. So you might say the fact that the planet is warming is as plain as the sweat on Trump's face, but don't expect the GOP frontrunner to change his views on climate change. Trump has repeatedly called climate change warnings a hoax and nonsense. And in fact, he backs broad use of fossil fuels from coal to oil drilling within the United States. Now, as the rest of the country is sort of coming to realize that global warming, you know, has serious consequences, you'd think that maybe Governor Ron DeSantis, who sort of built a, a record early on in his first uh, term as kind of this environmentalist and who, who actually talked about climate change and, and took some mitigation steps, you might think he might be able to capitalize on that. But no, because GOP voters actually kind of reject the whole climate change policy talk. In fact, in a, in a recent poll, only 23% of them, about one-fifth of them, cited the issue as a priority. And, and conservative media are far more focused on border security, inflation, and other issues. So the sizzling summer of our discontent would seem to open a space for DeSantis to gain ground on Trump on an issue that the former president seems a little bit out of step with the, the national narrative, 
But it's kind of a policy mirage, given that GOP voters really are focused on other issues. I'm sweating just hearing you talk about those uh, temperature numbers here, Antonio. It's It's been brutal. My, my kid's soccer practice has been abbreviated. My air conditioning has been on the fritz. It's been a tough, tough summer. Uh, John, you want to tell us about your number? Yeah, Zach, my, my 95000 that's $95,000. And that's what Governor DeSantis's presidential campaign has spent on courting a controversial Christian conservative leader who has appeared by his side as he campaigns in uh, you know what's looking like must-win state of of Iowa, uh, the evangelical vote is huge in the Iowa Republican primary, which takes place in January, and DeSantis, his super PAC, and a nonprofit group that's supporting him, they they've poured money into the. Family Leader Foundation. Uh, it's a nonprofit run by uh, Iowa's Bob Vanderplatz. Now, uh, this this is all based on reporting by Reuters, which examined the uh, spending by the DeSantis groups. But Vanderplatz has endorsed the last three winners of the Iowa primary. So clearly, he's he's a target for the the love and money from uh, DeSantis. Uh, the only asterisk attached to Vanderplatz as a kingmaker is that none of the three Iowa Republican primary winners went on to become the party's nominee. But, uh, you know, as we've talked about with the debate uh, at this point, DeSantis is, uh, you know, winning Iowa is the big enchilada for now. If he doesn't win Iowa, the campaign is finished. Uh, Admittedly, there are some doubters whether he'll even make it to Iowa come January. But, you know, having Vanderplatz, who who hasn't endorsed yet on his side, that's going to help. Uh, the, the money, according to Reuters, went into three pages of advertising in a booklet distributed at a July forum that was attended by uh, more than 2,000 Christian conservatives. Uh, for that money, he got tickets to the event, uh, a lunch, and an after-dinner event as well. But uh, some observers quoted by Reuters had deemed that 95000 that's a lot of money in Iowa, uh, it's, it stands out as a kind of expense, a high expense compared to there's another Christian conservative forum coming up in September where candidate sponsorships range from five hundred to five thousand dollars. So, you know, much less. But the uh, the the leader of that forum doesn't endorse and he's not Vanderplatz, who has been saying that the party has to move on past Trump. But when it comes to money raising, it seems like Vanderplatz may have learned a thing or two from the former president because he's managed to, uh, you know, Trump, as we all know, you know, he's he's managed to pay for his multiple indictment legal defense with millions of dollars from his campaign contributors. Well, Vanderplatz is able to get some money from the DeSantis campaign just for, you know, dangling the possibility of an endorsement, I guess. Um, Vanderplatz told Reuters that there's no link between the money paid his organization by DeSantis and whatever will be his endorsement. And he also said that on August 6th, he attended church with DeSantis and his wife, Casey. So uh, so there you go, Zach. Uh, pass the plate. <laughs> all right. DeSantis uh, putting his dollars uh, to work, going all in for the evangelicals in Iowa. Meanwhile, uh, Trump is apparently spending money to uh, you know, pay for a banner trolling DeSantis. So that really uh, shows you the difference between their campaign styles there. My number 
is seven, which is the number of former ACLU of Florida board members who are alleging in a new lawsuit that they were improperly removed after complaining about partisan political activity and mission creep within the storied civil liberties group. The lawsuit exposes a big rift in one of Florida's most prominent advocacy organizations. Really, the ACLU of Florida has been one of the last and 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 kind of most significant impediments to the agenda being pushed by Governor Ron DeSantis and and the GOP legislature. The Democratic Party is pretty uh, ineffective in Florida. So it, it's really some of these third party groups, uh, ACLU, League of Women Voters, groups that have been involved in some of these lawsuits that have tried to act uh, as a check on DeSantis. The ACLU has challenged DeSantis in court over bills dealing with everything from elections to how race is taught in schools. The lawsuit filed by the seven board members alleges ACLU's national office has strayed too far from its mission of protecting civil liberties, though, and is now an all-purpose liberal advocacy group that is involved in everything from housing equity to the student loan debate. The removed board members say they were removed by the national office after complaining about this mission drift and that the national office didn't go through the proper procedures to kick them out. ACLU Florida spokesperson disputed those claims and says the ACLU board was in disarray and engaged in discriminatory behavior. Whatever the outcome of the lawsuit, the turmoil is good news for conservatives who no doubt are happy to see infighting within one of the last effective left-leaning groups in Florida. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here.